Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Providence Walk With Me podcast. I'm your host, Martin Schreiber, with the Mission Leadership Institute. Today, I am continuing my conversation with Sister Helen Prejean, author of Dead Man Walking, which inspired an Academy Award-winning movie. Her views today are her views, and I am so appreciative of those. Let's get started with part two of our conversation. I want to welcome everyone back with Sister Helen Prejean. We are in a very dynamic moment of conversation about her life and what she is really uh, walking with those who are on the margins. And Sister Helen, in this Mission Leadership Institute, we're about to begin our own journey, a module around human dignity. Mm. And I wonder if you could help us uh, in terms of defining what human dignity means to you. Yeah, I sure will. I'm going to bring you right into the heart of the dialogue, direct dialogue I got to have with Pope John Paul about okay. dignity. See, for a long time, 1,500 years, the teaching of the Catholic Church, like many Christian denominations, um, was that the state had the right to take life. Now, there's a long history when, like, you had the Goths and the Visigoths and the Vandals, you know, sacking Rome. Finally, you came to a place, Augustine, St. Augustine was the first to say that the violent could be coerced with the sword. First time, because all of the message of Jesus was nonviolence, nonviolence, nonviolence. But the context for using violence when the church upheld the right of the state was to protect society. It was never this thing as was fashioned in modern form with the modern death penalty in the United States that there are some acts by their very nature, and we say we'll be able to determine what those worst of the worst murders are, by their very nature demand a proportionate punishment which has to be death. It was never the thinking of the church. So it was to defend society. Thomas Aquinas in the 12th century said it's like putting down a rabid dog or like you have a gangrenous limb and you amputate it but always about the health of the whole. Then you move into the modern era. But you also have, starting in 1948, the UN Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And universal human rights is another way of saying the word dignity without using the word dignity, but in the inalienable right that nobody can take from you simply because you are a human being. The dialogue with Pope John Paul happened around a man whose name was Joe Odell, it was 1997, he was in Virginia, he was innocent, he was about to be executed, and the Italian parliament got interested in his case. The Pope heard about his case, and that's how I got to send this letter. And in it, I brought the Pope right into the heart of things. I said, Your Holiness, I meet a lot of Catholics who say they're pro-life, but, and I'm pro-life, and as Catholics, just as those who follow Jesus, we want to be for life all across the board. But they make a distinction. And talking to them, what they really mean is they're pro-innocent life. But if people cross a line and do a crime, they deserve whatever punishment they get. And then I said to him, when I'm walking with a man to execution, I was thinking of Pat Sonia. He was the first. Yes. And my hand is on his shoulder. And I'm praying with him. I'm reading the words from Isaiah 43. I've called you by your name. You are mine. 
if you pass through the fire, you will not be burned because Pat was electrocuted. He was badly burned to death through the election. And I will be with you. And then your holiness, then this man, right as we're about to walk, kind of turns to me and whispers, sister, please pray as I make this walk that God holds up my legs. And I said to him, where is the dignity in rendering a human being completely defenseless and then deliberately killing them? How does that really protect us in society any more than imprisonment? And now I wasn't working with a dry, barren field and talking to Pope John Paul II. He had already been calling for a moratorium on the death penalty. Yes. But it was that act that this is, in fact, not defense. This is legalized vengeance. You killed, we render you defenseless, and we kill you. And in healthcare, the dignity of the person is such a big thing. Huge. When, when we're sick and diminished and vulnerable, and maybe we can barely speak, that face of compassion, that gentle voice turning us over, that touching of us, you know, with such gentleness and respect, that's Christ. That's Christ. That's Christ. Full blown. That's what it is. And it shores up the dignity of the person. When you walked with him and you had your hand on his shoulders, how did your legs not crumble? And and how is it that in Oh, well, yeah. let me tell you what, there's a strength that comes into you because you're not there for yourself. I was so focused on him and what he needed. And so, I mean, afterwards, I came out of that execution chamber. I, I vomited, I threw up, but yeah. I'd never in my life. But boy, in the moment, and I'll bet anybody in healthcare who cares about their patients and they go through a horrendous traumatic thing where every second counts and getting code blue and all that. Yeah. And then later you <clears throat> stand against the wall and go, oh, what just happened? How did I do that? Grace comes to us as we need it, not ahead of time. In the death house while I was waiting with Pat, if I let my mind go ahead, like on the day of the execution, I remember it's the morning. It's not going to be killed till midnight. And I let my mind go ahead. I began to imagine anticipatory imagination. And, and I began to be very afraid. And then I realized the grace is only going to come inside me as I need it. Let me, that's why there's so much wisdom in spiritual life about the present moment, because that's all we've got. And the grace can be there for us in the present moment. And then later, the rest is going to take care of itself. This is where we want to be, is in the presence and in the present moment. And so much is filling our minds and our hearts with fear. And yet you went and you touched the presence of God. And, and how can we help our caregivers who are lacking that presence because of the fatigue you and I have talked about over in our first part? How do I get through fatigue so that I can get to be present? And I love what you said about this imagination and not getting wrapped up towards it because that can really create fear i mean even oh, yeah. even whatever talk you got to give or whatever neurosurgeon has to do in terms of the brain there's some anticipatoryness towards that absolutely but you're you're calling us to the presence 
sister. Yeah. I mean, one thing is to make sure that the way that whole system in the hospital is set up, that people get enough rest, that schedules okay. are not horrendous, that they do double shifts, are they? And that, and regular self-care, retreats, feeding the spirit, you know, retreats where you can go, you can have the solitude, you can feed on the scriptures, you can feed, drink from the well of Christ, of the deep resources that are in the scripture. Uh, we need to, those of us in charge of hospitals or any kind of management, and then to have people there to be able to to encourage people like little local guardian angel of people. I don't know if that exists on a stair, but somebody there is kind of the, how you doing? Uh, can I get you a cup of tea right. kind of person? Uh, like a local angel or something. I don't know what you would right. call that person. That's really important. And then for us to notice and care for each other, those of us who are on these teams together, how each other's doing. Uh, to take care of each other and say, look, looks like you could use some time off or you need to, and especially since people are balancing things, they're there taking care of the sick, but then they're going home and they have kids and they have, you know, a spouse and they have maybe an, an older mother and father that need their help. People are stretched. It's really true. This sense of finding where your peace is and your presence and, uh, I have a book here. Uh, it, it's called Dead Man Walking. Uh, and and uh, well, I have to tell does you. That mean, does that mean I'm live, none talking? If you look <laughs> at Dead Man Walking, I think that's what that means. You know what you said? You said to Martin, my, co my co-worker in human rights. <laughs> and I'll do. And you know what you said at the end here? I just want to read it. It says, we go through parks the last place David and Loretta were seen alive and drive into the parking lot of the very old wooden church of St. Martin of Tours. Light shines in a steady slant from the tall stained glass window of the chapel. Red, green, and yellow speckle the grass. All around us is darkness. Nearby, large hundred-year-old oak trees spread their branches. Yeah. Sister, you have spread your branches to us. And this book motivated me to go work uh, with those men. And, and I, I just got to tell you, how do we keep finding that light of that room? I mean, that seemed to me to be something that you wanted us to recognize that we could find that light inside us. Yeah. And I was going into that light with the father whose son had been killed by Pat and Arizona. That father, Lloyd LeBlanc, is the hero of Dead Man Walking. He lost his only son. He said when the uh, the sheriff's deputies came to his door that morning and brought him to the morgue to identify his boy, and he stood there, this son he loved so much, and David was so much like Lloyd. They both were mechanically inclined. They fixed cars together, and there's his son. And the prayer that rose up in him, he didn't even summon the prayer, was the Our Father. And he prays the Our Father over the body of his son. And he comes to the words in the Our Father. And see, prayers give us a path to go down, for our souls to go down. And there's not always resonance with the words, but we do it. And sometimes that resonance where grace strikes us. 
he came to the words in the Our Father, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And he told me, he said, I couldn't feel those words. There was no way I was near those words. But he knew that was going to be the summons. And it's his, it, when you read and look at Dead Man Walking, he took me on that journey of forgiveness. He said, forgiveness, most people think forgiveness is weak. It really means it's a form of condoning. You kill my son and it's okay. It's never okay. It's a horrendous, you know, abuse of life. But his anger was getting the best of him. And at one point, he just put his hand out like this and he said, I said, uh-uh. They killed my boy, but I'm not going to let him kill me. And I'm going to do what Jesus said. He began to make his way down the road of forgiveness. And even when you look at the word for, give, to give before. So not only is it not condoning, it's that the strength in love inside me with the grace of God will remain intact and I will not become a bitter, angry, vengeful person because then I lose my own life. And Lloyd LeBlanc is the teacher in Dead Man Walking. He went into the fire. He lost his son and Christ rose in him. It was a journey and it was so hard, so hard. His wife was weeping. He said, coming home from work, it's like coming home to a, a mortuary. She was suffering. Everybody was suffering. And Christ's grace, like lightning in him. But he had to walk the path. Forgive to give before, not to let the love in us be overcome. And in small ways in our life, that forgiving is integral to our life of staying healthy and whole. Because things happen. Somebody's supposed to do their part of the job. You end up with the double work. You man is the devil at them. But uh, well, how long is the anger going to last? Giving forgiveness, asking forgiveness is like the healing process all along the way, like our spiritual immune system that kicks in with us. Well, sister, may we have that immune system going heavy because, you know, we want to be that phoenix rising out of the light. It has been an honor and a treasure to be with Martin. you today. Great to talk with you. Thank you so much. And love to all the people out there who are going to hear our voices, that the love of Christ is strong in us. That divine spark is strong in us. We must nurture it and attend to it, and it can help us see. Maybe what faith means is a way of seeing things, not as the world sees things, not just in their material reality, but seeing them as Christ sees them with the eyes of God. Thank you, Sister Helen. Praise John. Thank you, Mark. I want to thank Sister Helen for walking with us and to everyone for listening. To learn more about Sister Helen, go to sisterhelen.org. Follow the Providence Mission Leadership Institute on LinkedIn for future episodes with the greatest thinkers and leaders in healthcare. Thank you.